It's the first Monday of the month, and we're taking your questions. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 478. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One Monday a month, we open up the episode to respond to your questions. If you have a question you'd like us to consider for a future Q&A episode, go ahead and go on over to coachingforleaders.com feedback. That is the very best way to get it to us for consideration. I am glad to welcome Bonnie back to the show for our monthly Q&A. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. It's been a little bit of an emotional roller coaster this morning. You already know this, but you may not realize just how hard it hit me. I was so looking forward to this pressure washer hose connection thing that I bought because our our pillows in the backyard are so dusty, dirty in the furniture back there. And, and it came in the mail and I got most of it together, but I just needed your help with one part. And so it turned out that actually we're going to have to send it back because it doesn't hook to a hose like I assumed a hose pressure washer would. I'm thinking this momentary disappointment may be replaced by the trauma avoidance we will never have to uh, deal with of two children eyeing the pressure washer in the backyard and thinking that they were going to uh, play with that. So I think it may end up being a net positive in the long run, even though there's a sense of depression right now. No, but we agreed to disagree. <laughs> I had already warned them about uh, it was not a toy. And either way, I'll be processing the return and uh, doing another trip I, to the UPS I, store. I do appreciate not having to go through that part of the process. I am here to serve, which is a great transition to our very first question from Joseph. Joseph writes, I came across this Harvard Business Review idea cast, and it sounds so counter to what we have known from the strengths movement. The episode is titled Stop Focusing on Your Strengths. I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you, Joseph, for the question. I reviewed the transcript of the HBR idea cast that you sent over to us, and I will post a link in the episode notes for those who would like to dive in a bit more on this. So a few thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, I think one just thing to say here up front is the guest who is on this HBR IdeaCast is a professor at a university, is also the CEO of a competing assessment company. So anytime I'm looking at sources of information, I always try to keep, if there's a financial interest someone has in a competing product or service, I always try to keep that in mind. That said, I do think there's some really good points that are made in this episode about those of us, and I'm one of them, who have used strengths extensively throughout our careers and have thought a lot about strengths to be able to balance out in an appropriate way. So one of the points that is made in this conversation is the fallacy that a lot of us tend to have when we take an assessment like StrengthsFinder, and I have made this fallacy before too, just thinking about my own results, is rather than thinking about the distribution of talents as relative to each other, we assign a competency measure to them. So for example, let's take my StrengthsFinder results. Futuristic is the talent that comes up number one on my results. And the folks at Gallup describe futuristic as you're inspired by the future and what could be. You energize others with your visions of the future. And when I look at my talents and I look at all the 34, I believe it is, that StrengthsFinder has on the assessment, that one really does resonate with me as more of a strength than the others. 
The fallacy would be for me or others to assume that because it's number one on my results, that means I am better than everyone else from a competency standpoint of being futuristic. So I'm better probably, if we assume the assessment's correct, I'm better and more talented with this particular strength than I am with the other strengths. But it doesn't necessarily, and I don't think that Gallup or StrengthsFinder is attempting to measure the competency that I have a futuristic compared to other people out there. In fact, I may not be very good at it at all <laughs> on any of my talents. So that's something that I think is important to recognize. And this guest makes that point of just because someone has their number one, number two, number three strength listed, talks about it, uses the language, doesn't necessarily measure competency. So that's something that we should be aware of. And with every assessment, one of the things that I think is really critical to know is what are its limitations. And this conversation does a really good job, I think, of framing some of the limitations of StrengthsFinder so that we can utilize it in the appropriate way. The other point that's made in this article, and I have heard this made occasionally with strengths, is the phrase or the the message here to ignore your weaknesses, that the strengths movement is sending this message out that, well, you know, don't don't even worry about your weaknesses. And I certainly hope that I have never said that on the podcast here. If I have, I said it in error, and that's a mistake. So my apologies, Joseph, and anyone else who has who had heard that in the past. I think it is important for us to be really mindful of our weaknesses. And at the very least, we need to be aware of what our weaknesses are, even if we don't do anything with them. And that's where StrengthsFinder can be really useful, especially if you run the full report of looking at where are the talents that tend to score pretty low for you and the things that may be blind spots that you may not realize are weaknesses, you become more aware of that. And so that isn't ignoring weaknesses. That is at the very least being aware of them. But I'd probably go a step further to say, particularly for leaders, we need to then probably do something with that. So if there's a certain weaknesses that either we then need to invite others into our organizations, into our teams to be able to compensate for the areas that we're not good at and or get better at some of the things that we aren't naturally savvy with. So here's an example of that. With our academy members, one of the points I make is this when we're working on creating visions. One of the exercises that our academy members go through is creating a vision for themselves, their own personal leadership vision over the course of the year when we begin our work together. For some people, that is really easy. For someone like me who has a futuristic talent, that is really easy to sit down and to go through the process of doing that. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say really easy, but it's comparatively easier for me than it is for maybe other people. Some of our Academy members really struggle with that. And for those that struggle with that, I often make the point that lean into that struggle because as a leader, Being able to cast a vision for the organization is something that you want to be at least mediocre at doing. And yes, you might get other people involved. Yes, you may delegate some aspects of some of that. But it really does come down to the leader to own that. A leader needs to own a vision. And so even if it's not one of your core talents, it's worth it to get better at that. And things like feedback, if you're a leader and you're not giving feedback to folks, I think it's worth it to get better at that and to be better than ignoring it or just being aware of it. You actually need to do something to get better at that if you're going to have an organization with a healthy culture. So that's really how I look at it. And I I also like the invitation that Daniel Goleman made when he was on the show talking about emotional intelligence of if you're going to tackle something in the list on whatever you get feedback on, whether it's something like StrengthsFinder or whether it's some other assessment 
His invitation to us was, don't start right at the top strength and focus on that because that's something you're probably already really good at, but also don't start at the most weakest area either because that's going to be a real struggle. His invitation to us would be start in the middle somewhere. Pick something in the middle that you know maybe isn't your top talent, but if you worked on, you could likely get a bit better at, and that's a place where a lot of us can get traction on if we do focus on that a bit. I've been at the same organization for 17 years now, and prior to that, wasn't in higher education, but was in the for-profit learning training training field. And when I think back to the ways in which strengths have showed up for me, I have spent much of my career being in a role or in different kinds of roles where I was growing my expertise over many, many, many years. And just in the last couple of years, I have started to oversee groups that I have very little experience, very little knowledge about. And it has been wild for me as a leader to think through what that looks like. And one of the things that I found myself doing was to be hesitant. I didn't want to show up as a micromanager. That's something that's not a a role I'm comfortable ever playing. And so I, I held back in certain places. And one day when I looked at our map, so we did the strengths finder and everyone that is there, they had the option to share their results and they all decided to. And I noticed that like Dave, he mentioned having futuristic, mine is right up there as well. I was the only person out of, I think like 27 odd people, the only person with that as a strength. And I felt very critical of myself as a leader. You know, you're 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 holding the group back by not utilizing that strength because you're so afraid of being a micromanager. And, and so I really made that change and started to try to use that strength more and found that to be a really helpful sort of confidence builder for the ways in which I can contribute. So I have found it helpful not just as an individual to understand myself better, but also in looking at teams. And you want to make sure that your team is spread out across the, there's four broad dimensions that the Strengths Finder looks at. And if you ever saw a huge gap in one of those four, that would really be a detriment and would really hold back your results. And we've, I've also found it makes us better in terms of communicating. Dave mentioned something about that whatever's top on your list, or for me, when I took the Myers-Briggs type indicator, the MBTI, the degree to which, you know, this was sorted in this way. And I'm, and so we need to, when we're looking at these instruments results, Dave mentioned, you know, seeing who is saying this information about it, but also, is it something that sorts it by degree? You're 87% this, you're 92% this, or is it something that sorts you? And then all you can tell is how accurately were you sorted. So when I take a test about the Myers-Briggs type indicator, I sort completely as an introvert. Now, a side note, by the way, if you're interested in the MBTI, Dave and I learned when we got certified that there's actually this interplay between the different parts of that particular personality instrument. And so I definitely, if you want to talk about the weather or what you had last time that you went to that restaurant or things that to me aren't the deeper levels of communication about what we're afraid of in life, what we're hopeful for where we're struggling right now, then I find those conversations to really draw out my inner introvert and I want to be alone then. So it's what brings out my extrovert and that would be extroverted 
feeling. I wanted to mention this because I think that's helpful. I, w- I used to say it of like, I'm a total 100% introvert. And that's not true because I didn't understand the instrument and the information that it actually could give us about ourselves. And then I also didn't understand sorting versus degree. So that's another thing I just wanted to mention. And finally, before we go on to the next question, which actually relates to yours as well, is one of the things I hear people say sometimes is, well, that's just how I am. And unfortunately, sometimes that comes up having to do with one's integrity. Oh, I didn't call when I said I would call. Oh, I didn't do what I said I would do by the time I said I would do. Oh, that's just how I am. I get, you know, that's just how I am. That's talking about one's own character. That's not a strength, although there certainly are tools we can use to get better about showing up on time and about fulfilling our commitments. But if we allow ourselves to stop in life at, well, that's just how I am. When it comes to matters of integrity, I am a person who does what I say I will do. If that's not a pursuit that we are engaged in on a consistent basis to want to be that kind of person who does what they say they will do, that to me is an issue of character. And I think it's really short-sighted as a leader. So if we have a lack of approaches and tools that allow us to be consistent in terms of showing up as a person with integrity, then we definitely need to work at getting better at that and not just say that's that's just who I am. Now, when we talk about productivity specifically, calendars, task lists, you know, that kind of stuff, there will be certain personality types that are going to gravitate toward those things faster and probably better than others. But that doesn't mean if your personality type, you know, doesn't lend itself as quickly to doing those things that that kind of means you're off the hook because we do need to be people who for our clients, for the people that we serve, for our own sake of being people of integrity, those are things that we always need to pursue. Comes right back to uh, leaders aren't born, they're made, right? Uh, Mm. Thank you so much for this question, Joseph. And I hope it's helpful to you on doing some more thinking on just utilizing StrengthsFinder in ways that will help you to move forward, but also with any of these assessments, not prescribing too much to any one given assessment. And actually, Bonnie mentioned we're going to dive into this even more here, I think, in our next question here. It comes in from Matt. Matt writes and says, I'm a basketball coach in Australia, and I've only just recently started listening to the podcast. I had a couple questions regarding personality, which you had a series on a while back. What type of personality assessment would you recommend, if any, for me to use with players prior to the start of a new season? I thought it'd be interesting to help me learn about the individuals so I can help cater feedback to best suit the individual needs where I can. Would you have any recommendations on learning assessments to be able to cater to the individual, which I feel helps them to grow? What are your thoughts on having something along these lines, or would this be a potential mistake? I know you said that assessments don't necessarily get the desired result, uh, but I just want to use something as a guide that we can then use to help understand the players better. Bonnie, what do you think? Hi, Matt. I mentioned as part of the answer to the last question about Dave and I getting certified in the Myers-Briggs type indicator. That certification to me was transformative, both in terms of understanding that particular instrument, but also instruments more broadly speaking. So when we look at instruments, we're looking at reliability and validity. And so that's exploring in terms of how much does it actually measure what it says it will measure, and then how much also would it measure you know, across multiple contexts and across um, time timeframes, et cetera. So I, I just remember back to, there's another instrument called the DISC 
instrument. And that one, they would always tell you, you know, don't go through it during major times of stress, or you just made a job change, or that that's going to severely affect that particular instrument changes such as that. So we really, if you're going to use an instrument, I feel like the only way you use it is if you're using it because you yourself really became an expert at it, you got certified. I mean, you know, that thing inside and out, or you're able to bring someone in who has that There are just so many misunderstandings about these instruments such that they kind of really lose their value very quickly if they're being conducted by people who don't truly understand the instrument and how to facilitate those conversations. When I think through you wanting to get to know your teammates and really wanting to be able to give them feedback, I'm so glad that you care because to work effectively on a team, when we do know and understand each other, how much more effectively we can work. And I think to their ability to almost be able to predict each other, you know, going for going forward and playing as the team and the kind of trust that needs to happen in order to, to build a strong team like that. I think you probably could benefit from a personality assessment, but I also think that the wrong one or one that you don't know well, you're not able to bring in an expert could actually end up hurting you. Matt, anytime I've used assessments, it, it really comes down to one thing for me. If by doing an assessment, am I going to help generate a conversation that helps us to uncover stuff faster than we would without the assessment? So if the assessment can bring up stuff that helps us and whoever us is, whether leader, employee, team, a coach, client, whoever, if it helps us to spend three weeks having a conversation versus waiting six months to figure something out, that's a win. Anytime I can save time for people and help surface things that get us talking more, that's great. The problem with a lot of assessments is oftentimes they're administered and facilitated in a way that's opposite of that. It's for the purpose of doing the assessment. Okay, we're going to do the assessment and everyone's going to get their their code or their talent or their uh, MBTI code or whatever. And then that's kind of like, here it is, and maybe we'll talk about it a bit and it's done. It's the end of the conversation. So I'd really invite you to, whatever you do, use an assessment as the start, a catalyst to have more conversation. And I hear that heart in your question. I do have a strong opinion on how you might go with this. And I think StrengthsFinder is a wonderful place to go. And to the earlier question, the and the reason I really like StrengthsFinder for something you're doing is it's fairly easy to administer as in you can go on the website you could have your have your players go through it it's very inexpensive the people who want to get into more can get the book or you could purchase the books for your team and they can dive in it's one of those things you could read a couple of pages on it you'll get a bunch from it you get a lot of language and it's hard to mess up there's not a good or bad in strengths finder because everyone's looks different the chances of two people in the same group Getting the same top five is like one in some astronomical number. So everyone's unique. It opens up the door for a lot of conversation. And I think there's a lot you can do with it. And there's a big ecosystem around it. So I think that that's, the, that's a wonderful thing with StrengthsFinder, if you can do that. And then utilize that as a starting point for conversation. Like, oh, you know, so-and-so on the team is an achievement-oriented person. And, and look over here, we've, we have this person who's you know, very futuristic. And let's talk about like, what that would look like when we're doing a practice session and how I might coach you and how I might give you feedback differently and how you'd respond to that. And if you get people talking about that, man, that's a huge win. Uh, I, I, I really, uh, I, I think that's a wonderful place to go. And then the other 
I think mistake that can often be made with assessments is someone administers them, they get handed out, and everyone's results get put up on a board somewhere, or the assumption is otherwise, you've taken this assessment and now we get to share your results with everyone. And I would allow people to opt into that and for them to make the choice if they're going to share the results. So if you did something like StrengthsFinder and folks get their results, let them process that and then let them talk about it in conversation, either with you or with the team, if they decide they want to surface that. And if you do a team event, that let people talk about their results if they want to, and those that don't, they don't have to. Because every assessment has its limitations, it has its errors, but I think StrengthsFinder is a very accessible and a wonderful place to start. And if you decide to do more with it, there's a wonderful ecosystem around it. And I'll link to a few episodes we've done in the past with Lisa Cummings on StrengthsFinder, which I think will also be really helpful. So, all right, Bonnie, our next question is from Mike. Mike writes, I serve as Director of Organizational Effectiveness and Leadership for a health agency. Our organization has thousands of employees, and as you could imagine, there are interesting days for our healthcare workers. Our team is leading a strategy to provide ongoing psychosocial supports to our healthcare workers, and we're looking at various ways to provide folks with learning resources that help them effectively lead self and support others during this time. We want to conduct podcast-style interviews with some of our organizational leaders to share with our broader healthcare worker audience. One question that has emerged in our planning is how to reconcile the issue of candor versus confidentiality. As an expert in doing podcasts and conducting really interesting and engaging interviews with folks, I'm wondering if you've had to work through that question and if you have any pearls of wisdom that might help us reconcile that for our interviewees. Given our current organizational culture, I anticipate people will err on the side of confidentiality, which I think will limit the value of the conversations and limit our ability to get at the real gold of lessons learned by keeping things at more of a surface level. Thanks in advance for any insights you can share. Mike, thank you so much for the kind words. I appreciate it. And I'm including this question, even though it may sound very specific to doing a podcast style interview, I actually think there's a lot of gold in this question that we can all learn from and potentially utilize if we're having anything where we're doing interviews or recording people. So first and foremost, Mike, there's no such thing as a private recording. I always assume that anything I record, even if it's quote unquote private, lockdown, password protected, whatever, that it's in the public space. I even make that assumption. I certainly hope people don't do this, but I do make the assumption even in private emails that if I send something to someone, even if everyone intends well, even if everyone's very conscientious, there's always the chance someone accidentally forwards something, did a reply. I actually did this last night, Bonnie. I was introducing two people and I completely put in the wrong email address to someone and emailed back like, was this intended for me? We've all received those. We've all sent those. So uh, there are services, by the way, that do private podcasting now. Uh, Blueberry, who is the host of our podcast, uh, does all our media for our podcast, uh, all of our podcasts. They now have a service where you can get a proprietary app. Your organization can set it up. You can only give access to your employees. But it's not going to stop someone from taking their phone, (laughs) playing the audio, and recording it with some other device, and then posting it somewhere if they really wanted to. So I, I just always assume that something's in the public space once it's being recorded or it's created. So that said, how do I try to get authenticity and value, but at the same time to honor uh, confidentiality and to do that in a, in a very in a very appropriate way. 
Now, obviously, folks who come on the show, there many of them, their work is public. They are doing work in the public space, so they're excited and eager to share their wisdom with everyone. And at the same time, there's always things that are not said, right? So one of the things that I try to do is just make people feel comfortable. And particularly, and by the way, I'm on both sides of this. There are times I'm getting in a conversation with someone and I'm the one who feels nervous because of that person's public profile or they, you know, or they're very high profile person. And so I feel that nervousness. So I know how that feels. And then there's also times that the opposite is true. Someone's coming on our show and they're really nervous about appearing and maybe they've never even done a podcast interview before. And so I always try to make people feel comfortable. I talk about times that I felt nervous getting on interviews and I try to share story. If I really perceive someone is struggling with fear or nervousness, I'll often share a story of like, you know, here's a time that I really struggled with it because I want them to I want them to know that that's it's a legitimate human fear and it's 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 good to have some sense of fear and nervousness when you do something that is going to be broadcast out to the world potentially. The other thing that I always say to folks Mike that come on this show and I'm very intentional about this is I say I am not a journalist, I'm an archaeologist. So my job is to uncover wisdom. I want to find the smart things that you know, the expertise, the research you've done, the experiences, and I really want to showcase that. It is not my job or my intention to ask gotcha questions. By the way, I have the highest respect for journalists. I am so glad for the work they do in the world. And uh, there are people who listen to this podcast who would like me to be a journalist and to ask really, really gotcha questions to a guest occasionally. That is not my strength, and it's not what I'm doing. So that's just not what this platform is about. If I had those questions about people, I would never invite them on the show in the first place. So if they're on the show, I've already decided on behalf of our audience that they have something valuable to say and to share because anything else would be me wasting your time. So I've already made that decision, and I am doing my best to feature their best work. It doesn't mean we don't talk about something that's controversial or we may not get into something occasionally, but I really want to feature what they know well. And particularly for you talking to employees who may be, you may be featuring their stories and experiences. I think that's a wonderful way to frame that and give them a chance to tell their story, feature the great things that they have done. And I also tell guests who come on the show, even folks who are New York Times bestselling authors, uh, I'll say, hey, if you say something or I ask a question and we go down a route that's not working for you, or you say something that, gosh, you know, maybe that isn't the thing I should have said, we're happy to pull that out. Just tell me. So I want to take away the risk of someone feeling like, oh my gosh, they recorded this and now it's it's set in stone forever and and I can never get that back. I do make that invitation to our guests. Now, once something airs, we don't change anything. But prior to things airing, I'm I'm very happy to pull something out if someone's not comfortable with it. I can't even think of a time that I've had that request in the last four or five years. But I always make that request because I want people to feel comfortable and I want them to feel really... Um, I want them to feel really good about being able to share their wisdom with us and for us to really feature their strengths. And that's really what I'm about. The other thing that I would recommend to you, Mike, is I've done a conversation in the past with Jordan Harbinger, who's uh, of the Jordan Harbinger show. We talked about how to help people feel comfortable when interviewing. And we talked about it from both sides when you're interviewing someone that's very high profile, but also helping someone else be comfortable. So I'll link to that. Also, um, I talked with Andrew Warner of Mixergy a while back on a similar question. You know, when you're interviewing people, when you ask good questions, he's known for doing that. He, by the way, is the kind of person who asks the really tough, hard-hitting questions. Uh, we talked about just how he handles that. So I'll link to both of those. Bonnie, I'm curious what you think as well, too, since you interview a lot of folks also. I want to break this down into two broad categories. What, When we're talking about other people, 
or when we're talking about our own lives and the things that we've learned in our leadership lessons. When we're talking about other people, telling other people's stories or or bringing them into our own stories, we want to think through both the ethical and the legal considerations. So you're mentioning doing this in a healthcare context. In terms of legalities, we would want to be only telling stories that were not specific enough to ever have the patient's identity being known. And then when it comes to an ethical standpoint, this is absolutely not the place to be inviting people to be venting about their patients and the negative experiences they've had. There is a place for venting if it's helping you become a better teacher, in my case, or if it's helping you become a better healthcare provider. But I don't want that going into spaces like this that are consumed by the public from my own ethics. That's not the place for it. So you won't listen to my podcast, Teaching in Higher Ed, and hear me vent about my students. Surprise, surprise, I have been frustrated by one or two of them throughout my decades-long career. Ha, ha, ha. It's just, just it's not the place. And I, and, I, and I really am frustrated at faculty members or leaders who take the power that they already have. They already sort of are, you know, above, quote unquote, that person. If you're a medical provider, you're already above your patient in terms of your own knowledge and the ways in which you could use your power in those situations. And then to be using that to vent out, um, that's just something I would really entirely want to avoid, again, both for legal and ethical reasons. That doesn't mean that you couldn't celebrate patients and the ways in which they give meaning to your work as a leader. For example, I can remember Dave and I had a professor who had gone out and spoke to a company here in Orange County, California, that made some sort of medical devices for the heart. And there were these, this, there was this specialized work where they had to sew by hand these medical devices. And they really celebrated those workers who performed that service. And he spoke about how their product helped save one of his parents' lives. I mean, really powerful. So it's not like the patient couldn't ever enter into the story, or in my case, the students enter into my stories all the time. It's just that I do that in positive ways to affirm the ways in which they provide meaning and significance to me in my life and in my work. I want to speak a little bit about us talking about ourselves because some of what you could have been asking us was really just about confidentiality around patients, et cetera, but some of it really could be about vulnerability. Brene Brown has a superb Netflix special, which if you have not seen it yet, is definitely worth watching. It brings laughter, it brings tears, and it really does get to this point that if you would like to have significant influence in your life, that is going to require tremendous vulnerability, not just in moments across years, but on a daily basis, a radical kind of vulnerability in one's own personal and organizational leadership. So I highly recommend it. When I think back to my own journey, which started in June of 2014 of podcasting, I can't tell you the number of times where I have wanted to be something other than who I am. So I didn't, I don't want to look dumb. So I got so embarrassed that one of the people who came on had a PhD in material science. I didn't even know what that meant. I had to Google it and I was so nervous to speak with her, which I know Dave knows this. I just got to speak with her again. And it was so fun to be like, it's okay that I didn't know that I'm in a different place now because of the regular and sustained vulnerability. How could I possibly be expected 
to understand all the different people that I work with, with, with PhDs in such a diverse type of disciplines. And so for me, it's about being vulnerable enough to show up more with a childlike curiosity and being in that space, I can find that I'll vacillate because it's hard because not everybody lives there. And it feels really lonely sometimes when you're willing to go out there and make mistakes. I have also had conversations about race and racial justice. And uh, to try to be as brief as I can, let's just say they didn't always leave me in the most glowing light. If, if we're going to actually have the kinds of raw conversations that need to happen for restoration and healing and transformation, we don't always get out of those conversations looking like heroes. So the person who is putting on that interviewer's hat, and as Dave said, I don't, I am not a journalist. I am a curious person with beginner's mind who attempts to translate between someone who is brilliant and does know a lot and does have the kind of expertise that I so yearn to have about everything and apparently don't, but then that, that I could see my role as more being curious, which does mean that, that vulnerability, I don't know this. I might ask the question wrong, or I might say the wrong thing and believing enough in your vision and your mission for what these kinds of podcast episodes might be able to do in your organization and even beyond it. To me, that's what you really have to enter into to pursue relentlessly and be able to do that with radical vulnerability that I will say even after all this time of doing it is still incredibly difficult for me and also brings me immense joy. As always, the resources we've mentioned are in the show notes. In addition, several related episodes I'd recommend if the questions and our responses were helpful to you. First of all, I'd recommend two episodes I mentioned in the conversation. One of them is with Andrew Warner, How to Know What to Ask When in Conversations. That's episode 198. Also recommended is How to Talk to People Who Have Power with Jordan Harbinger, episode 343. Both of those will be helpful in conversations of navigating a bit of those power dynamics that we talked about uh, in the last question. Also recommended on StrengthsFinder is our resident StrengthsFinder expert, Lisa Cumming. She has been on several times. On episode 293, she talked through how to use StrengthsFinder so it's going to work for your team. So many teams do use StrengthsFinder. And then, as I mentioned in this conversation, they stop after the assessment. And it's not the starting point for a larger conversation. Whether you're using StrengthsFinder or using another assessment, the invitation, of course, is to use that as a starting point for the conversation. And in episode 293, Lisa talked with us about how to really utilize that well with StrengthsFinder. So if you've used StrengthsFinder before, or maybe you're consider, considering doing it, episode 293, a great starting point for you. We mentioned the topic of race briefly during this conversation. Of course, there is so much conversation going on in the workplace and in our society about race right now. If you'd like to dive in more on that, I'd recommend a fairly recent episode, 441. I've seen a few of you reference it recently on LinkedIn. Thank you for passing it along. 
The work of Willie Jackson is important work. He's been at the forefront of this conversation for many years. And the topic was Journey Towards Diversity and Inclusion. If you'd like to dive in more on that, we're, of course, going to be having more conversations as time goes forward. Again, that's episode 441. Also, I'd recommend a journal entry that I aired very recently within the last couple of weeks on the events going on here in the States and where I've changed my mind on as a human being and as a leader over these last five, 10 years, just watching race relations in our country. The topic is called Changed My Mind, and it is prompted, of course, by the murder of George Floyd, uh, but goes more broadly than that. If you would like to know more on my thinking of where I have changed my mind, which is the question that I ask so many guests who come on this show, what have you changed your mind on? Where I've changed my mind is in that journal episode. That'll be in this episode show notes and the weekly leadership guide as well. All of those episodes, of course, also available on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you have not yet set up your free membership, that's going to give you access to the entire library searchable by topic. Uh, as mentioned in one of the questions, we've done a number of episodes in the past on assessments and personality. All of those are filed away inside the library. If you'd like to dive in more, just set up your free membership. It takes just a few seconds at coachingforleaders.com. That's going to open up the entire library to you. Also, my book notes, all of the member casts, and the weekly leadership guide that comes to you every Wednesday with all the links from the episodes, but more importantly, perhaps all of the resources I've been tracking down for you. Coachingforleaders.com to do all of that. This coming Saturday is the next Saturday cast. Emily Leathers is joining me on the leadership lies we tell ourselves. And then this coming Monday, a week from today, how to turn adversity into advantage with Harvard professor Laura Huang. Join me for both of those conversations. Have a great week and see you on Saturday. Take care.